So boom, I'm on lunch break, minding my business, making a little snack to eat. I'm in my sweatshirt. I think I had like some kind of cap on or silk head wrap or some something like that. And I see a couple people on live as I'm chomping down on my snack. And one gentleman um, that I so happened to click on was talking about writing a book. And he invited people to, you know, join him on the live and I just decided, why not? Why not? Um, And then before I knew it, we were on and we were talking and, you know, he was answering a question that I had. And if you want to know what I asked him, I honestly don't remember. He might have the, um, the video IG, you know how people sometimes save their IG lives. Um, So maybe it's on there floating somewhere, but I don't remember what I said. Um, but I, I believe at the end, he said something along the lines of, you know, feel free to let me know, um, you know, if you need any advice or something, because I'm also a writer, as you guys know. So I think I said something along the lines of, I'm going to be starting a podcast. Now, this was maybe a month before I officially decided to seriously do this podcast. And I said, I'm doing a podcast. I would love to have you on. And he said, sure. Let me know when you're ready. And that was that. Simple and easy as that. Um, So fast forward, I get the podcast going. I try to build up some episodes to give people an idea of the kind of show that they're going to be on before I invite them to come on. And I reach back out uh, to the guest of this episode, Ty Allen Jackson, and he's with it. So I'm like, okay, cool, awesome. Now I'm starting to do a little research because I like to do a little Google search on whoever I'm speaking with to see if there's anything out there that I can bring up um, for the interview. And I was not prepared to see all the things that I saw. (laughs) Uh, This guy has done TED Talks dead freaking talks i mean they're not just letting anybody walk up in there and and hit their stage you know to to be doing a ted talk means you have you know not only done something significant but you have received a certain amount of recognition uh for the great work that you do so i'm like hold on who who is this guy um so i look more into who he is and, and, and what he's accomplished and i was blown away this is the guy that I was on live with in my, you know, roll out of bed clothes, eating snacks. This is the, <laughs> this is the guy that, you know, I so boldly mentioned, oh, I'm going to have a podcast and, you know, you should come on. Um, this is the guy that agreed to even come on my podcast and said, let me know when it's ready. Um, I was kind of like, wait a minute, <laughs> what's happening now? Um, so <laughs> as my mind was spinning, I was like, okay, don't choke, you know, come correct. Um, you know, do your research, ask him what you want to ask him, have fun with it. And yeah, it turned out to be a really wonderful episode and a really wonderful experience. Um, had I known, um, you know, I guess the level that he was on, I probably wouldn't have even had the nerve to bring up, you know, my little podcast that I just started a couple weeks ago. 
And at the time that I mentioned it, it wasn't even started. I didn't have a name. I didn't have have anything. Um, But it just goes to show you just, you know, how amazing, um, how fortunate, how blessed uh, we are to live in a time. And and me and Ty kind of touch on this, a time where people are so accessible um, and information is just available and how we can really come together. And, you know, people can just live their dreams. You can wake up one day and decide you're going to do something and do it. It's a, it's an amazing time. What a time to be alive. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm so super happy uh, to present this episode to you with Ty Allen Jackson. And I really hope that you uh, enjoy this episode, enjoy our conversation. Um, and also, you know, look him up, check out some of the books that he's written. I know for sure, um, you know, I have a bunch of godsons and, you know, I, I like to give gifts, um, especially as they're growing, that, that are meaningful and knowing, you know, the book that Ty has written, that's going to be at the top of my list <laughs> to give all all my godsons, you know, when I want to give them a gift. As I said in my episode, I'm buying books, y'all. Like, I'm going to be buying books from people I actually know. And that's kind of the cool part about doing this podcast is that I'm being introduced to people who have great work. And instead of going to, I guess, the normal recommendations, I can actually, you know, spread the love and spread the word in my own way. Um, and we can kind of, you know, boost each other because I'm, I'm pretty sure, um, (laughs) this is going to be a booster for W-I-N-I-F-R-E-D. Anyway, welcome, get cozy and listen in. Uh, this is what I like to call the read (laughs) with Ty Allen Jackson. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Winifred, another episode of W-I-N-I-F-R-E-D, the podcast. And I am super excited because we have an awesome guest today that's done a lot of great, fantastic things. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and kick it off and introduce Ty. Now, what I like to do is give the guests an opportunity to kind of say a few words about themselves versus me just kind of, you know, reading off their website. Um, So if you could just, if you would introduce yourself to um, this audience just with maybe like a couple sentences. Sure. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for the opportunity to uh, to be a part of your podcast. And uh, my name is Ty Allen Jackson. Before I am anything, I am the proud father of three of the most amazing human beings I've ever known. And uh, so that is my primary job and my primary purpose is being their dad. Uh, outside of that, I am a children's book author, a motivational speaker, a three-time TEDx presenter. Um, my passion and my purpose is to empower children around the world to read, believe, achieve, and succeed. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, well, (laughs) that's pretty uh, amazing. Before we jump into the questions, I just want to say when I came across your profile on Instagram, which is um, where I saw you first, um, I had no idea. Uh, When I'm on Instagram, I just kind of follow. If I see someone go live and the person that they're live with is saying something interesting or whatever, I just automatically follow them. Um, and so one day you were just on live and I was like, wow, this sounds really amazing. And here we are. So the power of social media, 
um, is awesome. So it really is. It really is quite awesome. Uh, I just read the other day, um, and I, I, I preach this all the time. We are in the most independent age in the world. I mean, let's think about it. If you wanted to do this, what you're doing right now, 10 years ago, you would need a studio. You'd need a producer. You need, you would need a whole bunch of things. Now you just need your phone. Like, you know, it, it, it really is pretty amazing the era in which we live. It is. It is. All right. So I, you know, I've, I've read about you. Um, I've checked out your website. I've watched some of your videos. Um, so I was trying to come up with questions that I guess you can't easily find the answers um, to, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to ask you something you've been asked before. Um, but generally speaking, um, who discovered your gift of writing? And I, listen to your video where you talk so much about um, your mother, which is a beautiful thing, um, and how she took you to the library and things like that, which my father uh, did that for me. And I always thought that was kind of like the push that kind of got me into reading and writing. But outside of going to the library, um, how did you discover that you could actually write yourself? Well, I mean, that it, it, the, the parallel between when I was exposed to reading and started writing was literally decades in between, because I, I didn't know that I had this gift inside of me. Um, you know, my mother was an avid reader, and there were books around the house all the time. And that's why I also tell parents it's really important to have books around the house everywhere. Let children see books, because they will gravitate towards what they see. And so having books just in the home will make a substantial difference. But, um, but growing up to be an avid reader really translated to be, becoming a writer. Um, that, and that I did not discover until I was 40 years old. I'm 53 now. And when I was 40, my son asked if he could open up a lemonade stand. Uh, he sold $50 worth of lemonade in three hours. He said, Dad, what am I going to do with all this money? I didn't know the answer, so I went to a bookstore to try to find a book about money. And I couldn't find one. And so that was, uh, so I decided to create one. And, um, you know, I, I got the idea for this book, the name Danny Dollar kind of just popped into my head. I went home, started writing. It took me a year to write this story. I submitted my manuscript to 147 agents. I was rejected 147 times. And I, I, I started my own publishing company to get that out. And that same book that, that I was rejected 147 times for, I sold over 60,000 copies of. And, um, but it, it, it was, it was sitting down after my son asked me that question and me starting to write the story where I started to discover, like, I really enjoyed this. Like, this is really fun. And when I speak to children specifically about writing, I tell them what's really important about writing is to write in their voice. I think when kids are writing, they want to write in the vernacular that their teacher will receive. Or the, or the voice that their teacher wants to hear, instead of them writing in their own voice where they feel comfortable. So I kind of write like I speak. And so, you know, I, I like to think that I'm funny. So, so when I'm writing, I want my, my, my writing to be humorous. So discovering my own writing style was really just about self-awareness and writing the way that I lived, writing the way that I am, as opposed to writing like if you wrote a paper for your professor, you would kind of write it for them. It's important to write for you. Write in your voice. Your voice is so distinctive. Use that. And, and, and that will also bring out a level of authenticity that you're not going to get when you try to write for somebody else. And I think that's the most important thing about writing. 
is being authentic. Be you. you. Your voice is unlike any other voice in the planet. Use that to your advantage. Don't, don't try to write for your teacher. Write for you. Hmm. Well said. Well said. A couple things um, that I want to touch on. So do you think that anybody can write a book? Because some people believe it's either you kind of have the writing talent or you don't. Um, so how do you feel about that? I know everyone has a story or, you know, everybody has skills and things that they can teach, but can anybody write a book? Well, that's a, that's a, a trick question. The answer of, is, is, of course, everybody can write a book. Can, should everybody write a book is probably a more appropriate question because everybody thinks that they have a book inside of them, or at least, especially when it comes to their life. People like to think that their life is so uniquely special that millions and millions of people would want to read it. And let's face it, all of us have a biography, a, bi a biography that we all think is worthy of being turned into a book. And let's say, I'm just being really honest, not everybody's life is that interesting. So um, I'm just being really, really real. I had a person approach, a, uh, you know, who was a, um, a drug addict and, and came out of being a drug addict and was now working a job and was really, you know, moving on with their lives. And he, and he told me his story. And I told, you, told him, you're only at chapter eight. You're nowhere near the completion of your book. I know you, you I, I applaud you for not, for overcoming, you know, your adversity, but your story's not finished. You've got more work to do. And mm -hmm. so um, I, I feel like that's the case for a lot of people who think that they have a book inside of them, at least a, uh, a nonfiction book. But if you want to write a fiction book, oh my gosh, I mean, all you really need is your imagination um, and, um, and just the wherewithal and the courage to make it happen. So yes, everybody has a book inside of them. Whether everybody has an interesting book inside of them is probably, you know, the, the, or whether they should write a book is the more appropriate question. But yeah, anybody who wants to write a book, yes. But I will say, you know, make sure that you're not writing for your own ego. Make sure you're writing for the purpose of wanting to engage readers. Mm, okay, okay. And then um, I love how, I guess, your, your journey as a writer um, isn't necessarily I don't want to say traditional because I get a lot of people that say, oh, I've been writing all my life. You know, I've been writing since elementary school and this, that and the third. And I always knew I was going to be a writer. But for you, um, you know, your writing kind of came up as you discovered um, a need for certain information. Um, so I guess before you started this journey um, with writing and books, what were you doing, if I may ask? Like, what was your career sure. path? Of course. Uh, I had worked for a number of corporate companies in the sales division. Uh, one of them was Cintas, which is a uniform company. Some of your readers may be familiar with. Uh, mm -hmm. They're a, a, a national, if not global, uh, I said readers, some of your listeners rather, um, might be more familiar with. And then prior to that, I mean, after that, I was working for uh, Allied Waste, which is now Republic Services. So I, I, I honestly, I, I sold trash cans basically for a living. My job was to provide uh, trash containers for small and large uh, businesses so that we would, could remove their trash. And they were good jobs. They paid really well. The hours were great. Um, you know, it's a job that I think anybody would be proud to have and making a, a, a good, decent, honest living. Mm -hmm. But it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't my purpose. It wasn't my why. It was a job. 
and a good job, but a job nonetheless. And, um, and it, you know, it was really terrifying because at 40 years old, I really didn't know what my purpose was. I knew that I was meant for something greater. I just had no idea what it was until my son said, hey, dad, can we open up a lemonade stand? And I feel like that was the universe's way of, of, of telling me, I have your purpose right here. You just need to look and you just need to listen. But if you follow this path, I can assure you that you will find where it is that you belong. And because I was listening to my son and because I did see this need and saw this opportunity, it guided me into the purpose that I have now. And now I can't imagine doing anything else. I will promote literacy and write books and engage with children about the importance of reading until my last breath. And I believe that each and every one of us has a purpose exactly like that. But it's up, for us, up to us to listen to the way that the universe or God or whatever it is that you believe is speaking to us all the time, every day for us to listen to see, you know, where it is that we belong. All right, a major gem that you dropped, you know, you can find your purpose um, at any point in life. You know, I think that, you know, with the youth, you know, in high school or even middle school, there's all this pressure to figure out what you're going to become and how you're gonna spend the rest of your life. But the truth is, you know, we're constantly growing and changing and you can find your purpose at any point and your purpose can grow it can shift it can change um you know throughout your life so i think that's a, a great thing that you shared that um so how did the people in your life feel about your shift um you know from one career to another were they supportive of you were they kind of trying to tell you huh maybe this is not for you how was it received? You know, this is where having the right people in your life matters. Um, you know, so very often you hear of people who have a circle will tell them, you know, maybe you should think twice about this or you can't do that or, or you're going to fail. And, and you know what? The, the type of people that you surround yourself with are, is integral to you know, who it is you are and what it is you're going to become. When you have you know, people who believe in you, who, who love you, who support you unconditionally, you know, um, you're, you're, you're going to be fueled to be able to, to move yourself in the direction of your dreams. And, um, and, and then the opposite holds true. You know, when, when people are, are, are naysayers or, or you know, or goal blockers or, you know, just, or just, or just discouraging in any capacity, it could obviously have the adverse effect. But I, you know what's really important? And it's, it's not to get too high for the people who say you can, and certainly not to get too low for the people who say you can't. Ultimately, this is on you. This is your life. And, and those people have nothing to do with the quality of life that it is that you're going to live. While it's helpful to have people who are positive and push you and, and motivate you and believe in you, it's really still ultimately up to you to be able to motivate yourself because those people are not always going to be there, nor should they be. Your journey is yours and it's yours alone and no one should dictate that for you. So, so while it's great to have the naysayers, I mean, great to have the, the cheerleaders and it can be harmful to have the naysayers, um, ultimately it's up to you. But I will say this also, I, I value the naysayers. I didn't have many of them. 
Not at all. People who know me know that when Ty puts his head down to do something, it's going to get done. I didn't have many of the naysayers, but I will say I had a lot of rejections and every rejection almost was more fuel for me to get it done because I knew in my heart and soul that writing these books was the right thing to do and nothing was going to stop me. And I felt like with every no, it was actually more affirmation that I was moving in the right direction. So, um, but yeah, I, I just, I'm, a, I'm, I'm so pro me that whether somebody lifts me up or tear me down, it's kind of irrelevant. What matters more is what I say. And so, um, so yeah, just being encouraged, you know, and, and doing the work that's necessary to be where I need to be, that's more important to me, whether than somebody lifts me up or brings me down. I love that. <laughs> I feel like I could see that on a on a t-shirt. What matters is what <laughs> I say. Like that'd be the like the new mug. Like that that's definitely <laughs> a powerful statement there. Um so do you have a favorite um do you have a favorite book? Just a book that you just love reading. Um any yeah. any subject, you know, any book. Um, uh, there's a book, there's really one book that really propelled me to live the life that I'm living now and that continues to push me in the direction of my dreams. And it's a book uh, that uh, my best friend gave me uh, just as I was making this shift into becoming a children's book author and was a little unsure of myself, if I'm being really honest, because I had no idea what I was doing in this field. And this book is called The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Jack Canfield was one of the co-authors of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, Chicken Soup for the Soul. And he wrote this book called The Success Principles. And it's basically a roadmap. It's basically a blueprint. It's basically a recipe for success. If you follow this recipe, it doesn't matter whether you want to be the world's greatest housewife or the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. The principles of success are the same. And so this book really pushed me or gave me the insight on what it took for me to apply these rules and these principles to become successful. And so I keep it by my bedside. In fact, I'm looking at it right now and I'm really grateful for Mr. Canfield for creating this book for me. It's, it's the most important book I've ever read. And I've read a lot of motivational books, but this was kind of the first one that really spoke my language and helped uh, navigate me into my purpose. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I always love a good book recommendation um, and so do the listeners. So you guys heard it. Um, definitely check it out. I haven't heard of that one. Um, I feel like a lot of people are kind of recycling the same seven books. Um, and those are the books that everyone seems to talk about. But that one I have not heard. So I'm actually looking forward um, to checking that out. And I'm writing that down right now. So I thank awesome. you for that. <laughs> All right. So... Now I'm gonna get into a couple questions that are a little more uh, specific because um, you are a children's book author. Um, so what would you suggest um, to parents? Cause you talked about, you know, your mother taking to the library. Um, my own example, my father used to take me and my sister to the library every single weekend. Um, so what would you say to parents who may not necessarily have the time to take their kids to the library and or read with their kids. They're too busy, they're working, they're this, they're that. What kind of advice um, would you give to them? Well, and of course, everybody's life is, is a little different, but I know this. I know we prioritize everything. Uh, the, the same person that doesn't have time 
the 15 minutes to sit down and read it with his child has 15 minutes to do a TikTok video. You know, the same, mm. the same parent that doesn't have the time to, to go to the library does have the same amount of time to hang out with her girls or her boys. The, the, it, it's all about prioritizing. And I, and I mean this with the greatest of sincerity. Other than love, instilling the power of joy of reading into your children is the most important gift you can give them. There is no other thing that you can instill into your child that is going to propel them towards their life goal, no matter what that life goal is, more than reading. And that's not my opinion. Statistically, ch children who do not read are not only not as successful, they are the foundation for almost everything that ails our country, from illiteracy to, to, uh, to poverty, to mass incarceration, to teen pregnancy and teen drug use. These things are all directly, not indirectly, but directly connected to illiteracy. So if you really do love your child the same way you want to give them good food and good water and good clothes and a good home and a good environment, equally as important is instilling the power and the joy of reading. So what I say to them is, if you really are about this life of wanting to do the best that you can do for your child, it is not an option. It is not an option. The same amount of time that you do to cook for your child, to send them off to school, to make sure that, they're, that they have good daycare, these things are all important to you. You wouldn't let someone harmful watch your child. You would not put poisonous food into their bodies. You would not expose them to, to people who are harmful. So that same amount of love and care and goodwill, reading has to be a part of it. It's not an option. And that doesn't mean that they can't do TikTok videos or that they can't watch their favorite Netflix show or that they can't. All these things can work in conjunction with one another. You know, one thing that I, I do with my kids when, well, when they were little is that, um, that just before the new Spider-Man movie or Batman movie or Wonder Woman movie came out, we went to the bookstore and got some comic books and read about Wonder Woman and, you know, their origin stories and see if they aligned with the movies. The same thing we would do with major movies that would come out on, like The Wizard of Oz was one of our favorite movies that used to come out once a year. Now it comes out, it like, seems like every three days. But, you know, <laughs> when it was special and it came out once a year, we would read The Wizard of Oz a month before it got started. And then we would compare the way the book translates to the movie. So any, any book or television show, or any television or movie show that would come out, we would see if there's a, a book before it and read the book before it. So there's fun, creative ways to be able to interject the power and the importance of reading inside of your children. It's just a matter of being a, it being a priority because honestly, it is. You're absolutely correct about that. Um, we make time to do a lot of different things. And you know, I hear people say that, oh, they don't have time to read, but they'll be on social media for 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, you could have easily Swap or Amazon. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah, like you yeah. can make the time. You just you just don't want to. Um, <laughs> and I love what you said correct. about, you know, things that like for example, I always loved Arthur as a kid. Like Arthur books. Yeah, Arthur was great. Yes, he was the best. And then he had the TV show. <laughs> right. Right. Right, and I remember exactly. when the, sh the cartoon came out um, and I was just like, okay, this is cool. And I was saying to myself, well, when I have kids, you know, we're going to watch the cartoon, but they're going to get these books. Like, I want them to see of course. <laughs> good old, you know, ancient Arthur in the books. So um, I think that's really a great idea. So let's talk about representation um, in books. And I guess 
content, subject matter. Um, so there are some books that have surfaced that some people may feel a way about because they feel like the topics um, are not necessarily good for children. Like for example, there was this book and I, I apologize to the author and the fans of this book because I'm probably gonna butcher the title, but it was like the day so-and-so came home from jail. And I guess it was wow. like a book that talks about when a, a father returned to jail and how I guess he rebonds with his kid. Again, I apologize to the author and the fans, um, but it was something along that line. And then there's another sure. children's book that is, you know, talking about, um, you know, my two dads or my two moms. And some parents feel like this is not appropriate. How do you feel about those books um, that show that kind of representation and that kind of content? So um, I'm, I'm probably going to contradict myself a little bit, but there's, if a, if a topic is important to someone, then it's important to some, to, to others. So to write a book about two gay parents or someone coming out of jail or so, like I, I, I get it and I understand. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure those books are of service to some people and should be. Um, I, I feel like the bigger problem in the world of, of literature, especially when it comes to diverse literature, is that it's predominantly in one scope, that it's always about cultural or representation, or, or um, uh, it's either cultural or, um, or social or, um, you know, like it's, or historical, where it's, it's Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and Underground Railroads or because my hair is nappy or because my skin is dark. And the, the, while those things are in power and in some ways, they're actually can be harmful in other ways. I mean, harmful is a little, a little strong, but what I mean by that is that in my opinion, especially when it comes to literature, if we're gonna inspire our kids to read, we have to stop differentiating them from everything and everyone. Yes, we are all different. All of us are different. But the objective, I think, especially when it comes to racism and for people of color to be seen as equals is to actually be equal. The more that we keep putting ourselves in this box of, you know, well, my black hair, all my black skin. Well, what you do is, is that you remove everyone else. Asian girls are not going to care about your nappy hair. Jewish boys are not going to care about your dark skin. So they have no interest in learning about that side of your culture. On the other hand, when books are really general, when books are just about kids being kids, well, now you've got little Asian girls and Jewish boys and, and Latinos and everybody else reading about these fun characters that are just like them that they can see themselves in. My character, Danny Dollar, is a young entrepreneur who wants to make money and become a successful billionaire. Well, who can't relate to that? Who wouldn't want to strive to be that? So little girls and boys from across every facet will be able to read about this character and want to emulate that character. The fact that he's Black is just a byproduct of that. But how powerful is it for little white boys and girls to want to emulate this young Black character? And so, so we, I, I think while there's room and while there's space for the dad coming out of jail or the girl with the hair or the boy with the skin, and I think that those books are important in their own way, they can't be the only scope. 
And unfortunately, when you go to bookstores, that's only what you see. You only see people of color in this very narrow space, the space that shows them it's being different. We have to broaden it out so that the world sees us as the same. Black people don't wanna be treated differently, better or worse than white people or anybody else. We wanna be treated exactly the same. The problem is, is that we keep speaking in a separate vernacular, that we're only different, that we're only overcoming, that we're only suppressed. And we gotta do better than that. If the world is going to see us as equals, then show us as equals. And, um, yeah, I know I varied a little bit off of the topic because I do think the thing about the jail is important. It may not be important for everybody. Obviously, I, I, I don't like the idea of it just, again, being in that scope if we're just talking about the, 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 prison, the prison book. But I'm sure that there's, sadly, of all colors and races, many, many children who have a, a, a parent in that particular situation. And if that book helps heal that child, great. That's a win. That's a win to me. Um, the problem is, is that when all books featuring children of color are very specific, whether it's jail or hair or cultural or social or historical, you know, my, my son to be very famously said to me that I don't know why I have to read about Jackie Robinson. My friends are not reading about Babe Ruth. And he was right. Mm. His friends are reading about Captain Underpants and Diary of a Wimpy Kid. They're not reading about Thomas Jefferson. Why are my kids reading about, why is Frederick Douglass the only option? Why is Barack Obama and Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King the only option to mm. see a child of color featured on a book? That should not be. They should be able to see themselves as superheroes and, and, and fun and engaging, lovable, everyday characters. And so should the rest of the world. Mm. Wow. Wow. Okay. I hope the listeners are taking notes. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yes. Um, and I actually Googled the book um, that I was talking about. It's, it's called The Night Dad Went to Jail. What oh. to expect when someone goes to jail. Yeah. And they use rabbits, um, I guess, as the little characters. And it's by mm. Melissa Higgins. Um, so that book, I know I heard a lot about. There's another book that's called uh, Weekends with Dads, and I'm sorry, Weekends with Dad, and that one is about um, divorce and separating, and yeah, kids, yeah. You know, and they use foxes, you know, so well, there are a lot good. of these, these books floating around, and, you know, people can feel a way about them, but I agree with what you said. I mean, those things happen, and I think them being able to have a book um, that kind of expresses those emotions um, can be very helpful. Like you said, it is a win um, for the people that are helped by it. Um, so we should just kind of be focusing on the positive aspect um, of the people who are being helped. So totally agree with that. Now, how do you feel about audio books? Because some people will argue that you don't retain the information as well as when you're actually reading, especially when it comes to children. Um, how do you feel about that? You know, we've got to stop fighting with technology. We have to stop having this adversarial relationship with e-readers and audiobooks. You know, while, of course, who doesn't want their child to get a, a great uh, physical book and sit down on the couch and read? I get it. Like, I, 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 would I prefer that for my kid too? Sure. But I, I'm not naive enough to know that I'm not my child and I don't have my child's mentality. And if my progressive techie kid wants to read on an e-reader or listen to an audiobook, I'm, I'm content with that. 
I'm happy with that, of course. You know, and there is power in reading uh, a physical book, but we, we, we gotta stop having this adversarial relationship with, with technology and make it our friend, make it our ally and stop making it our adversary. So yeah, I'm, a, I'm pro audiobook. I love audiobooks. Um, you know, is that going to ever replace for me personally, you know, me sitting at my, uh, sitting in my living room, uh, in the, in the evening and, and sitting out, uh, reading a book? Uh, no, but if my hands are busy, if I'm cooking, if I'm driving, if I'm doing whatever, and that's my option to get my dose of, of literature, that's awesome. Like, like, that's, that's a win to me. You know, um, I, I don't think we... Audiobooks shouldn't be your only option if you don't have books in the home and you only have them. Like, I would consider that to be an issue, but I don't think anybody does. I think people look into audiobooks exactly for their purpose, for when you can't sit down and read and you still want to be entertained with a good story. And so I'm pro that. Like, that's dope. I'm more audiobooks. That's what I say. <laughs> I'm kind of late on the audiobook wave. Um, I was always that person who just had to have a physical book in my hand. Um, but I would say it took, I would say 2019. <laughs> uh, I just finally just said, you know what? Uh, you know, libraries are closed, this, that, and the third. Like, let me right. get on this whole audiobook uh, thing. And I love it. Um, you know, while I'm working, um, at my desk, I'm listening to books, and like you said, when you're driving, and I, I think it's awesome. So I was late to the party, um, but yes, I think audio is definitely an awesome option um, because you know not everybody can always sit down with the book, and to still be able to get that content is fantastic. Um, so my next question, um, I don't know if you were ever into American Idol, uh, the show. The <laughs> okay. I will say uh, I voted twice. I voted for Ruben Studdard <laughs> and I voted for Fantasia. Have, were you ever into that show? I think the very first year, maybe second year, uh, I, I, you know, because it was such a phenomenon when it first came out. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 re I remember very little about, uh, I think maybe Ruben Studdard. I don't know if he was the first year or the second year. I can't really remember. But um, yeah, I, I watched it for a couple of years and I, I, my mentality was like, okay, once you've seen season one, you've seen, seen it all. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but yeah, but they, but they were fun and they were fun. Yeah, I fell off on season four. I think I, after the first three, I was just kind of like, okay, what else is going on? Um, but I only bring that up because Fantasia Barino, which in my opinion is the most phenomenal American Idol winner, um, was exposed uh, for not being able to read. And she right. was actually encouraged to quit and drop out of the competition, which we know that she did not. Um, However, how do you feel about them asking her to drop out and shaming her, saying that she was a bad example um, and not worthy of the crown because she could not read? You know, I think I'm going to paraphrase, I'm going to have to paraphrase Albert Einstein's quote, that if we judge a fish by its ability to ride a bicycle, we would say that the fish was stupid. And, but the fish is the most amazing fish and can do and swim better than anybody that can ride a bicycle. So the fact that we have to judge people just upon them this having this standardized type of way of living is 1 billion percent shameful. And, and big fist up to Fantasia for showcasing what she's amazing at, which she's better than 99.9% .9 of the people at, and pushing herself to be the best in that. 
And we should continuously have that mentality. Not every, my son is the most amazing cook I've ever experienced in my life. Like, mm. I really mean that. He's only 20 years old and he is a chef prodigy. He didn't wow. like school. He was a fair student and he decided he didn't want to go to college, but instead focus on his craft. And he is the most amazing cook. And I can assure you that my son, Ajay Jackson, shameless plug, will be one of the great <laughs> chefs that this country has ever known without a day of culinary school. Because that's just not the space that he wanted to be in. So he's just going to continuously work on his craft. And somewhere out there is a painter or or a contractor or a something without a college degree and may not even be able to know how to read, but they're going to change the world in their own little way, the way that they know how and will be marked a genius for doing that. Now, should everyone know how to read? 100%. The world is just an easier place to navigate when you know how to read. Without question, it's not a debate, but to shame somebody into taking away their gift because they can't do something else is a disgrace. And everyone should be completely ashamed by that. But, you know, should, should Fantasia, you know, take it upon herself? You know what, if Fantasia chooses to do that, no one here is to walk in anybody else's shoes and decide what's best for them. She's got a pretty darn good career and probably has a pretty amazing life uh, and standard of living, doing what she does and not worried about what we choose for her to do. And everybody should have this mindset. You know, it's the same thing about not get too high when people cheer you and not getting too low when people boo you. You do you, because ultimately when you lay down at night, you are who you wake up with and you are the only person that you need to worry about. Totally agree, totally agree. Um, I think, you know, it's just so sad, you know, the things, and people still do it um, to this very day. They just kind of like to pick something about a person that maybe they're not the best at and kind of use it to shame them and try to bring them down, um, which is just kind of crazy. It's like the same with um, Floyd Mayweather. You know, people like to bring up, you know, I guess his reading skills, but it's like, this is, <laughs> this is like Mayweather, like, I, I just, whatever. All right, but yes, yeah. um, very well said. But that's why it's so important to tune out the noise. Like, like I said, it's don't get too high when people cheer you or don't get too low when people boo you. The importance is, is that you do the best you can and what you're amazing at and you feel good about who you are. There's always gonna be haters. There's always gonna be naysayers. They're always going to be there. And um, uh, honestly, I almost always use them as me knowing I'm doing something right. Because let's face it, people are not going to give you attention unless you're worthy of it. So the fact that these people are going out of their way to boo you shows that you are on a path that they couldn't get on. So take, <laughs> take props in that. <laughs> yes, shout out to the haters. Shout out to the haters. Shout out to the haters. Wonderful. <laughs> All right, so my next uh, question is about your program um, that I was reading about, Full, um, which is, I think, so beautiful. Can you just say a couple words um, about your Full program? Well, uh, so I have to preface it with two things. One, it's not mine, it's an ours. It's uh, a gentleman by the name of Eddie Taylor who created the program and him and I worked in conjunction together with it. 
Uh, that's thing number one. Thing number two is that Full is no longer operative, unfortunately. It's been dismantled for about five years now. Uh, I know that it was prominent in, my, in a, one of the TED Talks that I did. It was also uh, featured on a couple of uh, television programs, but due to funding and some other issues, it's no longer there. But it was an incredible program, and I'll just give the quick elevator speech about it. It is a three-step uh, program where we worked with 10 incarcerated parents uh, and talk to them about the power and the importance of reading and how despite them being incarcerated, they could still make reading a part of their child's life. We would talk to them about the powers of illiteracy. We would hope and work with them about uh, getting them to read. And then we would uh, videotape them reading a copy of my book, When I Close My Eyes, uh, which is a beautiful picture book. We would uh, put it onto a DVD. We would send that DVD of the parent reading the book to their child along with a copy of the book so that they could open up the book and, um, and, and read along with their parents as, uh, as the, the videotape or the DVD played. And what was really amazing about that program is that it was implemented in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts where the, recidiv where the recidivism rate is 46%. 46% of all inmates who got out of jail went back, so virtually half. Within the 600 participants that we went through the full program at, we were at 8% recidivism, eight. Mm -hmm. And so um, showing parents the power of reading and working together and emboldening them and empowering them on what, again, I believe is the second most powerful thing we can instill in ourselves, which is the joy of reading. I think that the, the numbers speak for itself. They have 8% of the people go back as opposed to 47% um, or is it 47-48% of, um, of the rest of the Commonwealth just shows like when you expose people to the power of reading and compound it with the love of what it usually is the most primary aspect of their lives, their children, it's just a winning formula. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. I definitely got like a little emotional watching uh, the clip <laughs> that was in the video. I was like, this is really beautiful. So I'm actually going to thank you. give you this. <laughs> All right. I get the clap. That's what's up. That's what's up. <laughs> well done to you and your partner and everybody who was involved, the participants. Um, it was just, it was just great, great work. Um, thank you. So speaking of the, I guess the prison uh, system, there, there are books that get banned from prisons. Um, now, some of those books, it's just kind of like, okay, I understand <laughs> why this book was banned. But then there are others that I guess can be kind of questionable. Um, I read this article that I found online, actually. And it's from 2018, so it's you know a little old. So some of these books may not still be banned um, in certain areas. And I know it's different depending on the state and this and that. Um, but a couple books that... I was just kind of like, hmm, that's interesting that it was banned. So uh, one book is The Rose That Grew From Concrete, which is a poetry book by uh, Tupac, you know, famous, famous rapper, rest in peace. Um, and then there's The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, which, you know, I actually have that book in my library. So I guess overall, with some of these books that may be uh, empowering, um, how do you feel about them being banned? Um, it's a slippery slope. And, um, and what I mean by that is it's, it's ridiculous for us to think that, um, the new Jim Crow or, or Tupac's book should be banned 
anywhere by anyone. Um, and I think that's just the way that the system works into suppressing, which in essence, what the, the whole incarceration program is. It, it is. it is not about rehabilitation because most people come in, go out uh, worse than when they went in. So uh, what, what it really is about is, is suppressing and, um, and, and not giving people the access to be able to read the books that they choose um, is, um, is, is certainly a way to be able to do that. With that being said, I'm sure that there are some really strong, violent books that probably shouldn't be into the hands of people who are incarcerated. So it would be a little hypocritical um, to say that, well, you can only ban these books. Um, uh, yeah, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm going to almost give a pass on this question. I, mm -hmm. I, think it's, I, think it's, I think it's harmful that those specific books are not allowed. But I, I, I could then easily just go, well, these books are really the ones that should be, be banned and then somebody else can have the exact same argument. So um, I, 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 I think in essence, un, unless a book is about like really causing harm to people, um, then, then all books, especially books that preach truth uh, should, mm -hmm. should be allowed. Um, yeah, it's, it's, but it, I mean, if, if we're going to try to dissect the prison system, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're going to fail because it's just, we, we know what the prison system really is. Mm -hmm. Um, it, 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 it is just, it is the new Jim Crow. It, it, it is the new slavery. So, um, it's just, it's just packaged with, a a a, a very, uh, diplomatic bow, uh, and given the illusion. Of, of being something to better our society when in most cases it does the opposite. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very true, very true. Um, so your being a TEDx presenter um, that I see that you have done uh, three times, that's correct? Yes. Okay, um, how was that? And have you always been like a speaker? Because as I was watching the video, I'm like, wow, he has like, you know, that presence and the smile. And it's just like, has he been doing this like all his life? So <laughs> tell me about you being a speaker um, because you were excellent, like seriously. Oh, well, that's uh, ridiculously kind. Um, I honestly will think in my last TED Talk, uh, which is, is titled um, Why Many Black Children Aren't Reading. Um, I thought I did a lousy job, to be perfectly honest. Uh, the TED uh, venue didn't have the right mic. They didn't have the right issues, uh, things going on. And I personally didn't think I did a good job, but I digress. Uh, my, my other two, I'm actually pretty proud of. I mean, I'm proud of all three of them, but I think I could have did a better job on the, on the final one. But with that being said, um, you know, I talked before that I didn't discover my gift of reading until uh, I was 40. Um, I, don't, I don't know when I discovered that I had this gift to be able to speak. Um, I will probably say it, it, the foundation of it happened with my very first job. Uh, I was a stock boy in a place called The Love Stores in Manhattan. And I, prior to that, I don't know if I had been in Manhattan more than two times in my life as a kid from growing up in the Bronx. But there's something about New York City that kind of raises you to be really resilient. And it, and it, and it, and it makes you have a, a ton of resolve and kind of just gives you courage. 
And so, um, and it forces you to engage with people. There's so many people. You don't have a choice but to, to engage with them in some capacity. And I think just working in that, that store uh, as my real first exposure to society, to the world even, it, it kind of raised me to, to have the wherewithal to be able to stand up and speak to people, you know, whether it's positively or in some cases, if there was a shoplifter, you know, uh, you know, forcefully, like, you know, it just, it, it uh, my mother even says that I'm a completely different person. And she knows that the love stores are uh, me working in this store in Manhattan was kind of the foundation of that. So um, I also, when I was 22 years old, uh, and was a kind of a dopey kid, I took a stand up comedy class. And um, just as an opportunity to kind of like, because I always loved comedy. And, and, and I wanted to be, I wanted to feel comfortable in talking to people. And I certainly love to make people laugh. So I took this six week long comedy course and it was so much fun. And the, the, for graduation, you had to go and you had to do five minutes of stand up in front of your peers and their families. And it was, it was just so much, nobody knew about it. I didn't tell any of my friends. I didn't tell any of my family. I didn't want anybody showing up. I did this just <laughs> for me. So, um, so I did it and it was so, and I really enjoyed it. And so, um, so I think that's the, like those two things in New York City were kind of the things that laid down the foundation for me to be a better speaker. But I'll also say that as I became an author and I started, you know, pounding on doors and um, getting the people to sell my books, um, I, I saw that a lot of kids didn't like reading. So I, I created this kind of stand up, you know, 45, one hour minute long, um, one hour long. Uh, stand-up comedy skit called The Five Reasons Why You Need to Read. And, um, and it, it allowed me to not just vocalize the importance of reading, but it allowed me to entertain kids and, and to like, then to create, you know, this um, platform where I can humorously inspire kids to read. That's awesome. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I say all the time, like the jobs that people have, you know, in many ways kind of prepares them or sets them up um, for different situations in their future, um, not always in a direct manner. It can happen like indirectly. Um, like for myself, example, I'm not the most talkative person at all. I'm actually very quiet, um, which people might be like, oh, but you're on a podcast. But um, I'm really not a talker, but every single job that I've ever had has kind of required me to talk to tons and tons and tons and tons of people um, all over the world. So it's just kind of like, Ugh. <laughs> I don't want to do this, but I guess this is my job. And so it's right. helped me grow in so many different ways. Um, and also my first job ever was in a hospital. Um, so just kind of seeing a lot and being around different people from just, you know, people who are injured, people who are sick, it kind of I guess, grew this kind of like emotional component, I guess, um, to my personality, the fact that I'm like very um, caring and you know, I have a lot of empathy just because of things I was exposed to um, at 16 in my first job. So, you know, that, that's interesting. Um, and I think, like I said, you did, <laughs> you did a great job. Um, so you've accomplished a lot of great things. Um, is there anything in this year, which is 2021, um, if you could just name one goal that you might have for yourself, and it doesn't have to be specific to the work you do, it could just be a general life goal. Um, but for this year, 2021, what's one of your goals? 
Um, well, I'll tell you my, my primary goal, um, and it doesn't directly have to do with work. Uh, I've lived in the Northeast my whole life. Uh, I've lived in New York City until I was 35, and I've lived the remest, uh, remainder of my years here in Western Massachusetts, and, um, and I'm done. I'm done with the Northeast. Um, I'm, I'm looking to, uh, to change uh, my environment in, um, in, a, in a really profound way, and so I'm, I'm looking to perhaps relocate to California. Uh, I think that that's kind of where I belong. I, I really love the culture. Of, of California. So my plan in 2019 was to find my new home and to relocate in 2020. But then COVID happened. And uh, so everything's got pushed back a year. So my objective now, hopefully with COVID, perhaps, you know, being subsided somewhat, hopefully, um, mm -hmm. I plan on visiting California within the summer and fall of this year for a few months, trying to find where my new home will be and then relocate in 2021. So, so my, my biggest primary goal is just to find where I belong. You know, I, I, I've, I've said that I think the, the three foundations that everyone needs to have is um, for a, a happy life is, uh, it's no, um, is to love what you do, is to love where you live, and to have someone to love. And if you have those three things, then you have the foundation of what could be a really great life. And I love what I do more than anything. This, this is what I'll do with my last breath. But I don't have the place where I call home. I don't, I don't know where that is. And, and I've yet to find, you know, my life partner. So, so, um, so I'm, I'm hoping to go to California to find my new home and, and find, you know, the person that I'm supposed to grow old with. So that's, um, those, are, those are my life. Those, those are my goals for 2021. Okay, sunny California. You know, I've actually never been to the West Coast at all. Um, and that was something I was hoping to do in 2020, um, was just kind of take a week and go out to California. But you know, like you said, yep. COVID, and that didn't happen. But I think that's, that's really, really great. And you know, I wish you well on your, your quest uh, for your home in California. And speaking of home, when you uh, go on lives, which if any of these listeners are on Instagram, um, I will put the handle um, on the episode so you can, you know, easily follow Ty. But he gets on these lives and <laughs> they're really great. You know, it's it's just great conversation. Um, it's kind of like a, I would compare it to like a fireside chat um, kind of environment <laughs> where it's like warm and cozy and you're just kind of speaking your mind and engaging with um, people, which is great. But the background, you know, you and your, in your home, it just looks so like chic and you have, you know, your fresh flowers <laughs> and, you know, your cabinets. And I'm like, man, like I could only imagine what the rest of it looks like. So I'm sure whatever, <laughs> whatever home you find in California will be just as a, uh, as fantastic um, as what I've seen. It will. <laughs> it, it will. Your, your, your home should be your, I walk in my home every single day and I'm like, oh, this is where I belong. This is my place. This is my sanctuary. <laughs> and so we should all have that feeling, you know, and I, I didn't for many years, I lived in an environment that didn't inspire me, but this place is, reflects who I am and it's where I belong. So, but thank you for, for, for the plug. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think COVID has shown a lot of us who basically have had to be home more than ever um, for the most part, you know, just how important being comfortable in your living space is. Like I'm um, in my home, Absolutely. 
I've had an office that I never sat in, never, ever, ever. Um, you know, people who know me, I have three jobs. I'm in grad school. I'm always running around. So I was hardly ever home. If I was home, I was sleeping <laughs> or studying. Um, but once I had to work from home uh, full time and I, I finally walked into my office and said, okay, well, <laughs> I guess this is where I'll be working now. And I just started to, you know, put a picture on the wall and get a plan and yeah. this and that. And it just started to feel so good. And I'm like, I can't yeah. believe I spent almost two years without ever sitting in here. Um, I love that. That's awesome. Good yeah. for you. All right, so now we're getting ready to wrap up, but I do have a little game that we're gonna play um, and it's it's very quick. So uh, I guess in the podcast world, they call this the lightning round where it's kind of like a, <laughs> a quick answer. You don't have to think about it too much. Um, so this game is actually a two part game. Um, so for the first part, the game is called, Is That a Read? So for people who don't know, I guess what a read is, it's kind of like a slang term for an insult. Um, so it's kind of like, I guess, popularly, popularly used. Um, so the game, is that a read? So I'm basically gonna say a statement and you're gonna tell me in your opinion, if you think that statement is a read. So is that statement an insult or is it just kind of like a fair statement? Wow, okay. <laughs> you ready? <laughs> I'm ready, let's go. All right, so the first one is, and this these are just general, these aren't specific to you. So if somebody says to another person, wow, you look better than your profile picture, is that a read? Wow. Um, no, that's not a read. Um, yeah, no, that's a compliment. I mean, you know, because people for the most part will put up their best picture. And if somebody <laughs> says, wow, you look even better than your best picture, I consider that a compliment. <laughs> okay. And if somebody makes something, um, or let's scratch that. <laughs> if somebody presents something to someone and the person asks, oh, wow, did you do that yourself? Is that a read? No. Uh, again, if, if, if they're, hopefully they, uh, appreciate the gift and, and think so much of the gift that, that it seems something that someone extravagant or like someone professional would do. And, um, and, and you, and you're the person who did it. I don't know. I'm, I'm also going to take that as a compliment. All right. If someone says, Hey, you look great. Uh, looks like you're getting a little weight. Is that a read? I don't know if that's an insult or a read as much if it's just none of your gosh darn business. Let's stay out of my refrigerator, stay out of my bedroom. You don't have to worry about what I look like. So if you want to call it a read, I will call that as close to a read. Uh, but really what it is, a testament that somebody needs to mind their own business. <laughs> if someone says, congratulations, oh, you finally accomplished you know, X, Y, Z, finally. Is that a read? Um, no, it, it, it depends upon the person. If someone has been persevering for a long period of time to do the whatever and that they finally do it, no, that's, that's, a, that's, that's simple acknowledgement. Um, I, I think that that's just acknowledging, hey, I know it took you a long time. I saw you. I think it says that indirectly also. I saw you in your pursuit of that. And finally, you were able to accomplish that. So no, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Okay. And for the last part of this game, if somebody sees you with someone that you're dating 
and they say, congratulations, mm, what do you see in them? Is that a read? Wow, uh, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hopefully that person is joking around uh, because that is worthy of getting popped in the mouth if, um, yeah, what do you see in them? Like, yeah, hopefully that's coming out of jest. It be let's put it this way, it better be a joke. It better be in jest, because if not, the next time I see you, we're going to have some issues. <laughs> All right. So the second part and uh, closer part of this game is called, will you read or let it go? Um, so basically, if this scenario occurs, will you uh, make the decision to read that person? Um, or will you just say, nah, it's not that big of a deal. So first one, someone comes to a party like a birthday party or maybe even like a wedding, but they don't bring a gift? No, I'm not. We don't know the circumstances of that person. And perhaps that person was not able to, for whatever reason, uh, bring a gift. Uh, the gift is that that person showed up. So no, mm -hmm. I am not going to read that person because we have no idea what the circumstances are of some people. The gift is that they represented and came there for your special day. That's beautiful. You know, I wish more people would think like that. Um, not to cut into the game, but yeah, because, you know, you just never really know. And the fact that the person took the time uh, to make it there, you know, that that is special. So totally agree with that. Okay, next. Someone comes to a BYOB, but doesn't bring anything. Um, I'm going to say the exact same thing. Uh, that we don't know the circumstances of that person, um, uh, unless it's that uncle that comes in and just drinks up everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, we all got that uncle. We got that cousin. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to always try to look on the side of empathy first before I look on the side of, you know, of sustained last. I'm going to give the people the benefit of the doubt that, for whatever reason, they didn't bring a bottle because, um, unless they're that person. And you know <laughs> if they're that person. So uh, if they're not that person, then you give them a pass. All right. And let's say you're doing a presentation um, and somebody's cell phone goes off very loud. Um, yes, you're going to get it. Yes, um, I, I, and, and I've, I've had that happen to me on more occasions than not, because what it does, because I, you know, when I start my engagements, I always say, everyone, please turn off your cell phones. If you did not, and your phone goes off, it tells me, one, you didn't listen to me the first time. And, um, and two, it's going to acknowledge other people who did also didn't, because, you know, if one person didn't turn off their cell phone, chances are somebody else didn't turn off their cell phone. So, yeah, you're going to catch it. Yes, you're gonna, you ain't going to catch these hands, but you're going to catch something. <laughs> I love it. All right. Someone steals your seat at church or any other function, um, but there are plenty of empty seats, though. And no, you know, I mean, it's stealing my seat. I mean, unless they doing it out of uh, blatantly saw my seat and preferred it over. But if there's more than one seat available, then no, you're yeah, saying you move your feet, you lose your seat. That's just kind of the way it goes. <laughs> yes, that is, that is the golden rule. Unless you have like a lookout or something, or you leave your, your scarf on the seat. You leave your coat. There you go. Exactly. 
Now, if you leave your scar on the seat and they still take it, all right, now we got, now you got to go. Like, bro, come on. <laughs> you, you see my scar, you know. Definitely. All right. So this is the last question for this game. Um, it's kind of a goofy question, but uh, I guess it's possible. Let's say somebody bootlegs your book um, and is selling it on the corner. I don't know. They photocopied it. I don't know how people bootleg a book, but let's say someone bootlegs your book. Um, how will you handle that? Um, I will I will pick them all up and put them in the trash. Uh, <laughs> no, you're, you know, I, I put my heart and soul and, and pockets and, and money into this product. You don't get the benefit off of my product. No, like bootlegging, uh, not only will I not allow that, I, I, will, I will shame the person buying the bootleg. Like, you know, like that's just not, that's not the way that people should, should treat one another. Um, you know, I don't buy bootleg movies or bootleg anything because I think it's important for the artists to be able to reap the benefits of their hard work. So yeah, nah, bootlegger, you going now? Now you might catch these hands. That's that that might happen. No, I, I say that I, I wouldn't even know what that means. Catching hands. I'm like, no, I'm not fighting nobody. I'm a punk. All right. Well, that <laughs> concludes the game. Thank you so much for playing. Um, that was cute. <laughs> One of my college roommates, actually, she was an actress. She is an actress. Um, and I remember now these are college days. Um, so broke college students. So we would have like uh, bootleg CDs and things like that. And I remember she came across uh, a CD that I had and she let me have it. She was just like, yeah. this is stealing. This is wrong. And, you know, I was writing back then as well, poetry. And she's just like, what if somebody took your poetry and, and put it out and this and that? She's like, it's wrong. Like, literally, I was just standing there feeling like crap. And from that day yep. on, um, I haven't. And I, I tell people the same thing. It's stealing. It's wrong um, for all the reasons that you named. So, yes. No bootlegging. Um, but no yeah, bootlegging. so this is wrapping up the podcast. Thank you so much uh, for coming on and you know sharing your journey with us and giving us wisdom and gems and just really great information. Um, it's just such an honor to have you here uh, taking this time out of your day. And so just to end it, I'm just gonna allow you to go ahead and you know plug anything you want to plug. Um, I will put your handles uh, on the episode, but you can you know feel free to save those as well. How can people support you and follow you? Um, let us know. Yeah, so uh, basically you can find everything Ty Allen Jackson under Ty Allen Jackson. That's Ty T Y Allen A L L A N. Not E-N, thanks, mom. I don't know what that was about, mom, but okay. Because <laughs> um, no one writes my, whenever I say Ty Allen, they use the E, it's, it's two A's. So anyway, so tyallenjackson.com or Ty Allen Jackson, you can find Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter. You know, I'm, I'm definitely all in the social media sphere. Um, so you can find anything and everything under Ty Allen Jackson. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, hope you have a fantastic uh, remainder of your day. It's Saturday, everyone, while we're recording. So it's the weekend. Um, and yeah, have an awesome 2021. I hope to, you know, see in the very near future you in California. So thank you again. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wish you well in all that you do. 
thank you. And I appreciate you uh, creating this platform, especially being as busy as you are as a grad student and uh, to create a forum for our artists like myself to be able to you know, express themselves in their work. So kudos to you and you're a fantastic interviewer. Great job. Thank you so much. Alrighty, take care. Wasn't that great? Thank you all so much for coming by once again and listening, checking out the episode. Thanks again uh, to Ty. A million times thank you for making the time to be on W-I-N-I-F-R-E-D, the podcast, which stands for writing, inspiring, notably, intentionally for readers everywhere to discover and I really feel that this podcast truly is um you know truly is that people are writing people are inspiring I mean I'm inspired just by these interviews and you know every time that I mention uh, a tip or a trick or something that I know you know and somebody comes back and says thank you for sharing that you know I I feel you know that inspiration being carried around and you know I know that all these people that are listening I truly feel it in my soul have good intentions you know we're all here on the strength of good intentions and um you know sharing things for readers everywhere everywhere (laughs) to discover like literally um you know I see my analytics I see the numbers you know I've had listeners in Austria in Japan in Germany um so this has been great. I feel really good that, you know, I decided to start this journey and that so many wonderful people have joined me, whether they're listeners or guests being featured. So this was the long one. I'm gonna cut it off here, but I appreciate you. Follow me on Instagram um, and also follow our awesome and talented guests, support them and take care of yourselves, guys. Till next time.